If you have your Bibles, you turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. So Isaiah's in the Old Testament. The Psalms are about right in the middle of your Bible. It's a couple books further towards the end of the Bible. We're in Isaiah chapter 7. John Owen, I read on Pastor Mark's Facebook feed this week, said that the great promise of the Old Testament was that concerning the coming of Christ in the flesh. We see that first in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve have sinned, that God said to Eve that she would have a son who would crush the head of the serpent, though he himself would be bruised in his heel. And so right away, after the fall of man, God promised to come. God promised to come in the flesh, born of a woman, a son of God, a son of man, to rescue, to save us from our sins. That's the entire promise of the Bible. That's the promise of promises. So Jeff said, Pastor Jeff said that Advent relates to the, sec- or the, the coming of Christ. The advent means the coming, the appearing of Christ. And there's three ways that we consider Christ's coming. We consider his birth, born of the Virgin Mary. We consider his coming in each of us, his dwelling within us. We not only needed Jesus to be born, we need Jesus to birth us anew. We need Jesus to dwell within us. And then, of course, we await his second advent, his second coming. All that to say that this season of waiting, this season of Advent, is a season all about Jesus. That's what it's for. Now, nowhere in the Bible do we see that thou shalt celebrate Advent the four Sundays before Christmas. And yet the church, over the centuries, I think in great wisdom, knowing our need to be reminded of Christ gives us this month to focus on Christ coming, born of a virgin, Christ dwelling with all of those who confess him as Lord and look forward to his second coming. So what we've decided to do, this was actually Pastor Jeff's idea, was to focus on a few of the texts in Scripture that focus on the names given to Christ at his birth. So this Sunday we're going to focus on Emmanuel, from Isaiah 7, next Sunday on Son of God, then Savior, then Lord, then Light. Those are the, the five, the four Sundays before Christmas and that Sunday immediately following Christmas will be Emmanuel, Son of God, Savior, Lord, Light. Now, Emmanuel, you might have noticed in some of the songs, sometimes Emmanuel is spelled with an E and sometimes with an I. Why is that? I didn't know. And so this morning I Googled it. I go duck goat it. And it's just like Mandy, my wife, spells it with an I. Some spelled with a Y. That's it. There's nothing special behind it. Uh, so now you know. I'm going to read from Isaiah 7. And I'm going to read verses uh, 10 to 14. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, 
Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray. Father, help us now. You have given us so many great and precious promises. Give us a pledge again, we your servants, of your intention to do us good for all time. Our eyes long for your salvation, for the fulfillment of all of your promises. Speak to our hearts again by your Holy Spirit of the greatness of your steadfast love from this day until the end of days. So, Lord, act on our behalf. Keep us in your love. Teach us to hate every false way. In Jesus' name, amen. Who's Ahaz? Ahaz is a descendant of King David. And he is the king of the southern uh, kingdom of Israel, Judah. So by this time, Israel had a, had a civil war. And there's two kingdoms separated now, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And Ahaz is king in the line of David uh, over the southern kingdom of Judah. In verse 1 of chapter 7, we read of a few other kings. Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel. What's going on in this text is the southern kingdom had been attacked by an alliance of the northern kingdom, kingdom under the king Pekah and under the Syrian king Rezin. They had formed an alliance and had attacked Judah. Uh, and yet it, it says at the end of verse 1 that they could not yet mount an attack against it. It failed. But now they're hearing again of this alliance in verse 2, and they're terrified. Ahaz is afraid. It says that his heart is shaking like the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So we're familiar with this. Every fall, the, the wind strikes up and the leaves rattle as they dry up. So they were terrified because these two powerful nations had allied against them. So God sends Isaiah and Isaiah's son, we see this in verse 3, to go to Ahaz and to comfort him. Now Ahaz was not a good man. Ahaz was maybe the most wicked of all of the kings over Judah. And yet because of God's promise to David, because of God's commitment to his own righteousness and promise keeping, he sends Isaiah in verse 4, be careful, be quiet, don't be afraid. And, and the promise to Ahaz is that by the time a child is old enough to know right from wrong, those two kings will be no more. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, God, in our text, himself, the Lord speaks to Ahaz and says, I, I know Ahaz, now I'm reading between the lines. Ahaz isn't a good man. He's, he's not a man of faith, as we say. God knows that Ahaz does not believe his word. And so God uh, tells Ahaz, listen, I know you don't trust me, 
I know you don't believe my prophets. I know you don't believe my words. So ask me for a sign, anything. Ask me to perform a wonder in the heavens above or in the earth below. And Ahaz, pretending to be righteous, said to God, I will not ask. I will not put you to the test. As we say up here, he's full of it. He's a liar. He's trying to act spiritual. He does not believe God's word. He, he doesn't ask for a sign, not because he doesn't want to put God to the test, but because he has no belief at all in God or his word. And this reminds us again that if you want to know what true humility and true godliness is, it's just that you believe God's word and that you're willing to obey it. But Ahaz won't. And so then God gives Ahaz an unasked for sign. And the sign is that a virgin will conceive. She will bear a son. And his name will be Emmanuel or God with us. God with us. So there's a sign given. Let's, let's think about signs. Christmas is a season full of signs, isn't it? Look, look at right here. We have a, a green wreath. What is that telling us? Well, a wreath is a symbol of eternity. Infinity, it, it doesn't end. It keeps going round and round. Green, eternal life. It's communicating to us that in Christ there is unending, eternal living life with him. Christmas is filled with lights, candles, Christmas lights. I hope you put a bunch of them up. Why? What's the significance of light? What is light saying? Well, this world is full of darkness, isn't it? Darkness in the world, darkness within ourselves. And Christ is light. Christ is truth. Christ is purity in a world of impurity. And so we have all of these signs, and of course, the best sign is presence. And Christians sometimes make a well-intended mistake of wanting to say it's not about the presence. It's not about the presence. Well, yes, it's not about the presence. It is about Jesus, but what is Jesus but a present? And the reason we give gifts and are so glad in them and take so much time and thought and care to purchase gifts and wrap them up and give them is because we want to give the sign of the greatest gift, Christ coming. So Christians, far from withholding gifts and not doing things like we're not going to give gifts to each other, we're going to give money to somebody else, we give as many as we can. We stretch our budget every December. And praise God for it. Why? Because God doesn't withhold the most precious, the most costly gift, his son, but gladly gives them up for us. And so we want to mimic our father and give and give and give. And so Christmas is full of signs. Christmas is full of signs. 
Again, God told Ahaz to ask for a sign. He refused, so God gave Ahaz a sign. And so this, as I was thinking about the text this week, I was thinking that one of the temptations for us as Christians is we want an indication from God often that he'll take care of us, don't we? This is often when we're in times of trouble. Or when, like, internally we're struggling, we're wrestling, there's maybe just a dullness, an ache, a down. Or maybe there's real trouble and we're full of anxiety and fear of what's going to happen. And we really, really wish God would give us some indication that all will be well. That he'd take away the, the dullness, the ache, the fear. God, please give me a sign. When I was a young Christian and I was dating Mandy, we were in lacrosse, and I really wanted to know from God if I should ask her to marry me. <laughs> it really wasn't that godly. I was just a, a, a wimp. And I was pawning it off as spirituality, but there was this island in the middle of the Mississippi that I would drive to the end of and watch ducks. And I said, God, if you want me to marry Mandy, bring a duck by. And no duck came. <laughs> but, but we want this, don't we? Beyond God's word beyond the regular communications of God in the preaching, beyond the Lord's Supper, beyond him creating all things for us, given to us for our provision, beyond his daily giving you of food and, and clothing and shelter and people who love you, beyond all of those, we want more, don't we? We want to know, will it be okay And, and again, often because of some real, real difficult circumstances, the sickness of a child or a bad diagnosis or a loss of income or whatever, God, give me a sign. Do you care? Do you see my trouble? Now, God does sometimes give us extraordinary signs, like in this instance, but they're very, very, very rare. They're very rare even within Scripture. In fact, never except when God, in a very special circumstance, tells us to seek such things, but rather to be content with all that he has given already to communicate the precious care he has for us. Another way to say it is our world is filled, jam-packed, with ordinary signs. By ordinary, I don't mean to degrade them. I just mean they're, they're there all the time for you. The heavens declare the glory of God. The second helping of stuffing declares to you the kindness and care of God. Even more, Every week we come to worship together. And what do you see but the body of Christ? What do you hear but the word of Christ? What do you receive in the Lord's Supper? 
but a reminder again of the body broken for you and the blood shed for you. And then all for the next month, what will you see over and over again? Even shopping in Walmart, songs, singing, the glory of Christ, and yet we want more, don't we? We're never content. And so, brothers and sisters, be content with all that God has already given to communicate to you that he is your God and he will do you well. But here, we have this sign given. And the sign has to do with the virgin birth. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, if you're familiar with this verse, you know that the word virgin here in Hebrew could just simply mean a young woman. A young woman before she was married, maybe betrothed, engaged. But it doesn't necessarily mean virgin. Now, when the first translation of the Old Testament Hebrew was made into Greek, they specified with the word virgin. And then in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, when the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew, he made sure that we knew that God was here speaking of a woman who had not yet been with a man and yet who conceived a child. Now, in the Bible... Miraculous births always signified that God was up to something. Always. Isaac, Samson, John the Baptist. Especially when women who were past their ability to bear children somehow conceived, you knew that God was doing a special work. And now here we have a far greater miraculous birth signifying something far greater. God was going to impregnate a woman without a man. We read in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23, that it was going to be by the Holy Spirit. And so this promise here, this sign, was signifying Mary. Mary, as we remember, was engaged to be married to Joseph. Joseph discovered that she was pregnant, and so he was considering cutting off the engagement, divorcing her, when the Holy Spirit came to him, or the angel, or God sent an angel to him and said, don't, don't be afraid, Joseph. The child within her is from the Holy Spirit. Mary was pregnant, and yet still a virgin. Now, this is one of the main confessions of biblical Christianity. That Jesus was born of a virgin. That Mary, having yet to have intimate relations with a man, had conceived a child in her womb and that the Holy Spirit did that. What's the significance of this? What's the significance of the virgin birth? Well, it has to do with the sinlessness of Jesus. It has to do with the sinlessness of Jesus. It isn't mainly about Mary's relationship to Jesus, but about Jesus' relationship to God the Father and to us. 
why did the Son of God, the eternal Son, the second member of the Trinity, why did he become a man? Why did God become incarnate? Why did God take on flesh? Next week when we talk about Son of God, I want to get more into what that is. Because it is the mystery of mysteries in biblical Christianity. How can there be God and man? That'll be next week. But this week, just why did he do it? What, for what purpose did the Son of God have to become man? Why? For our salvation. That's it. That's the only reason. This, this tells you what Emmanuel means, God with us. It, God is transcendent. You know what that word means? Parents, if you don't, ask your kid, they'll tell you. Transcendent means God is far beyond us. He's above us. He's separate from us. We can't compare him to us. He is not like us at all. That's why those questions that Pastor Mark drew out from Isaiah are so important. Who has measured the waters of the earth in his hand? There's only one answer. God. Who has never asked anything of anyone? Who needs no counsel from anyone? There's only one question, or only one answer. God. He is not like you. He is far above you, beyond you, greater than you, more important than you. He transcends you. And yet he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Now that's not mainly describing a location. When we, that that preposition with isn't mainly about Jesus' location. It's, it's mainly communicating to you that he comes to be among us to deliver us from our sins and from this world of misery. That's why he took on humanity. And that he was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, means that unlike you and I, he wasn't born with the nature of sin. That's the importance of the virgin birth. That's the importance of the conception by the Holy Spirit. He was born, unlike you, unlike I, holy, pure, righteous, without the taint of sin. You and I know that from the very beginning, we are warped, bent, shattered in sin. I've said it before, every parent knows you do not have to teach a child a lie. They, they know how to do it very well. You do not have to teach a child to be stingy with his or her toys. They know how to do that very well. You don't have to teach a child how to cry to get what he or she wants. We aren't born neutral. We're born sinful. And we live out that Sin the rest of our lives proving that reality except Jesus. 
So we have a high priest who was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so he can sympathize. He can feel what we feel. He knows what we're going through, and yet he never sinned. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Christ to be sin, even though he had never known sin, so that we might be made the righteous of God in him. In 1 Peter 2.22, he did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. Jesus, listen, we have people on this earth willing to sacrifice themselves for us. We just celebrated Veterans Day not too long ago. Hopefully you as a wife are married to a man who sacrifices himself for you. You children hopefully have parents who would be willing to sacrifice, even lay down their lives. Children, when moms give birth to you, they are shedding blood to give you life. They are dying. We have people willing to die for us, right? But So we have, in a sense, people willing to try to save us. So the, the problem isn't, do we have people willing to give themselves for us? Do we have anybody w- qualified enough to actually redeem us? Is there anybody that can be found who, if they were to die in our place, could actually bring us to God? Could actually make us righteous? This is why the virgin birth is so important. This is why Mary conceiving not by Joseph or by any other man, but by the Holy Spirit is so important. He had no sin of his own to deal with before God so he could deal with your sin. So this promise, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, is already indicating that the Son of God would become man and yet he would be born without sin so that he could take on your sin, so that you could take on his sinlessness. So there's three trades happening here. Well, let's just do two of them. Jesus is born without sin, so that he could take on your sin on the cross. And then, Jesus would give you, gift you, impute to you, credit to you his perfect, holy righteousness. And that's what we're seeing here. So, we are saved with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus was born by the Holy Spirit in purity and not in sin. He remained pure all of his days so that he could become what we need an acceptable Savior to God. And so that God could be with us. God cannot dwell with the impure. God cannot even look on that which is sinful. How could he ever be with you? How could he ever be for you? How could he ever be called my God, our God, How could he ever be Emmanuel when we're sinful? Because his sinless son took your sin and you were gifted his sinlessness. What does that mean for you? 
Well, in this text, Ahaz was full of fear and trouble and doubt and despair. Isn't that true of you? How many of you have heard of the man plowing into the crowd at the Waukesha Christmas? That to me was like one too many. What in, what is going on here? I mean, we live in an awful world. And you just think of the people at a Christmas parade with their loved ones getting mowed down. What? What do we do? What do you do with what's going on in you? What do you do when your conscience will not give you rest? What do you do when you're constantly reminded of your failings and your sin? What do you do when you cannot get out of the funk? When there's very little joy anymore in your life? You have no hope. That's what this is for. That's what this word Emmanuel is for. That God is the God of those in a funk. That God is the God of those in a world where men drive vehicles into crowds full of evil. That we have a Savior who is qualified and sufficient to forgive our sins and to bring us to God. That we await his return in the making of all things new where we dwell with him in a world of Endless day, beauty, and glory. And what do we do till then? Well, we should have eyes to see the signs of his goodness. The Holy Spirit is working within us. That he gives us seasons like Christmas to communicate to us over and over and over again that God is with us for our good. And every Sunday when we gather as a church, when we gather in our homes, we are communicating that Christ has a body and his body was given for us. Especially when we receive the sign of the Lord's Supper. The Holy Spirit is present to communicate to you again and again and again that your Savior has shed his blood and so your sins are forgiven and so you belong to God the Father. And so do you have ears to hear this in this world of misery? That God is our God. And he has reconciled us to himself eternally and that nothing can take us from him. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. That you don't have to divorce your spouse. You can hang in a miserable marriage because eternity is forever. That's how you apply this. So we need faith, don't we? Let's pray. Father, give us help now. We do not want to look at this world as it is. We do not want to be honest with ourselves about what we're like. And yet we know, and we need help. We need your son. We need Emmanuel. We need reassurances against signs that 
you are our God and that you will not leave us and that nothing is random, nothing is by chance, that there is meaning and that you are in and are good and that there is an eternal heaven to come. And God, we are so, so, so weak and yet often so proud and trying to be self-sufficient. We need your grace. We need your Holy Spirit now to communicate to us these good promises of your Son to convince us that we belong to you, that your Holy Spirit would confirm in us again that we are your children, that because of Christ. And so God, please help us now. In Jesus' name, amen.